Hi, hi, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies and the host of the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. And I am really excited about our guest today. Uh, Nikki and I met at Women's International Day at the Albright a couple of years ago before the pandemic hit and we could no longer meet together uh, in person. And I really wanted to bring her on today to talk about her story and her journey. Uh, and as it's Pride Month in the UK and around the world, I thought it would be a great time to do that. So Nikki, welcome to the show and please tell us your story. So uh, I think you just outed me. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, I used to be a boy, but I'm all right now, which is why I'm part of the LGBT community. Although strictly for Pride Week, I'm not sure community is the right word. It's more family. Like we only play nice when mummy and daddy are in the room. <laughs> when mummy and daddy are not in the room, kind of we're all at each other's throats. Uh, anybody else in the community is laughing at the moment because they know exactly what I mean. Tell you my story. Like, so this is a five hour podcast, obviously. I'm not sure entirely where to start, but um, but let's start with, I, uh, I went, obviously I went to a, um, a mixed primary school and all my friends were girls. And then I went to an all boys school and I hated it. Like I was utterly miserable. Like I didn't like being a boy at all. And when I was 12, it's like year two of big school. Um, I uh, used to wear cowboy boots because they had a heel and I grew my hair long so I could get into a ponytail. It's only about an inch. I used to put my hair in a ponytail when I went to school and then take it out before I got home and my dad saw it. And I made a mistake of coming home one day and still had the band in my hair. And my dad was like, you know, no son of mine kind of thing. And um, my mum was a hairdresser. And so it was cut off there and then. Which incidentally, I'd completely forgotten about it until I saw uh, um, a scene from uh, Caitlin and Jenna's show where they were showing some little trans girl having her ponytail cut off, and I just triggered me, and I spent the next forty-eight hours not, you know, uncontrollably sobbing because I remembered what had happened when my ponytail was cut off. Was I went to bed crying for eight hours, and about um, you know six or seven hours after, I had missed dinner which was very unusual for me I was always a big girl <laughs> so missing a meal was a big thing and my mum came in and you know got on the bed and gave me a cuddle and said what's wrong and I was like well I don't want to be a boy I want to be a girl like all my friends are girls all my friends are you know I want to sit in the common room and read Jackie I don't want to sit in the common room and bullshit about football I just I'm not really interested in all that kind of never have never been like can't really do it when men get together and talk men stuff. I was like, okay, you do realize that there's a thing called life happening around you. <laughs> like, you I just, I just can't stand it. And I definitely don't like the chest beating and all of that kind of, I just hated it. And so my mum, who I think was quite smart, really, this is 1984. Um, she gave me a cuddle for a bit. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, and she thought about the answer, she said, well, you can't be a girl uh, for two reasons. Number one, look between your legs. You don't have the basic anatomy. Like best part about being a woman is to being able to give birth. And, you know, we're a long, long way from the medical science that would allow you to give birth. Um, so, because I think I'd said to her, like the reason why I want to be a girl is, you know, girls, women can do anything a man can do, but a man cannot do some of the things that women can do. It cannot 
give birth. They cannot feed and nurture a child. And, you know, I mean, my kids now are the most, it will always be the most important thing in my life. And, the, you know, the, the, the lack of ability to be able to develop the bond that comes with motherhood has been a lifelong pain for me as I suspect for any barren woman would be, but you know, obviously I had to face that when I was 12, but I was never going to do that. And my mum, you know, very pragmatically said, that's not going to happen. And then she said something that I think is probably even more interesting, which was, uh, it's a man's world and you're much better off being a man in a man's world. Um, and then when you're successful, do whatever you like. That's really interesting. Uh, uh, it is really, my mum was amazing, really. She, she was much, much, um, she died, unfortunately, um, four years, five years ago. I came out to her by accident, really. Like, she was flicking through my phone. This is 10 years ago. She was flicking through my phone, and she saw a photograph of me. And I look quite, like, I, you know, when I'm made up, like, I, I, I fancy that I look a bit like my mum. And she saw the photo of me. Uh, and went, oh, who, who's that? And I, I was like, oh, sure, how to handle that one. I went, well, it's me. And then she said what are you doing that for and that, this is 10 years ago now so it's a long time after being 12 and and i thought like i was literally lost for words for probably three minutes but it felt like an hour as i kind of thought through how do i answer that um and i came back with it's not very profound but i did come back with the well because i can you know like i don't look stupid like, I don't think anybody's looking at that photo. I don't think anybody's looking at me now thinking, you know, look at the stupid boy in a dress. Like, I don't look bad. Um, I think you look gorgeous. So, yeah, that's the right thing to say to any trans woman any time. <laughs> but it's true. And, it's, and I felt that way when I met you. You know, I just thought this is a person who has an incredible light inside them and is being their true authentic self. And, you know, Sparkle and Thrive is all about being your true authentic self. And that's why I just think you're amazing. It's definitely about sparkling. <laughs> that's true. She said, don't mind if it's about there you go, present to myself. Like nobody else is going to buy me jewelry, so I have to, I have to fork it out myself. Oh, we've uh, got a comment from the audience. Oh, already? Um, yeah, already. It says, sending love to you both today. I'm the daughter of a transparent, really proud of my dad, who who's called Katie. Okay, well, um, thank you. Well done. Um, I like the I like the phrase transparent. <laughs> yes, I do too. I really love that phrase. My uh, my kids. So I do a bit of stand up comedy, and um, and so everybody asks me. I have a joke that I tell when people say, "Oh, what do your kids think of your transition?" And um, and my answer is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna offend half your audience now, I'm sure, because I'm sure some of them are are right-wing voters uh, anyway so my answer is well uh, at some point i've got three kids that's one of each we can laugh about that later um and uh um what i'm what i'm hoping this sends as a message to my kids is that at some point they're going to bring somebody home and say we love this person and we want this person to be part of the family and what this is supposed to say to them and all emotional um is i don't care whether it's a boy or a girl or whether it's you know Chinese or French or German, well, maybe French. 
and but uh you know if you love them uh, then i will do my best to love them and bring them into the family with one exception and um, people think i'm joking but i'm not with one exception and that exception is if you bring a tory home <laughs> conversation and i don't i don't mean pejoratively it's not it's, it's not that i hate all tories you know like, like some tories are just stupid but there is a certain kind of right-wing voter that is so narcissistic and so self-centered they're not going to look after my child and, mm. and I want to kind of sit down and go like you do realize that you know if you if you marry one of my kids like you have to look after them or 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 you know i can polish my gun <laughs> Man. <laughs> so um uh my my the response to my kids there is they i mean my kids i say my kids they're 22 20 and 17 17 going on 40 uh, that's obviously the baby and the baby girl and she's um we have an interesting relationship when i was when she was about 12 i was doing the uh edinburgh friend show and she saw the photograph of my outfit for the for the show and she went oh daddy i had a tartan miniskirt i say mini like more like a wide belt like one of the things the best thing about being trans is no cellulite which means i wear shorter skirts than a woman my age probably should because <laughs> i have great legs <laughs> and so my uh my daughter's flicking through my photographs she saw it she said daddy that skirt's too short i was like oh why don't we uh, why don't we have this conversation again in four years time when you're trying to borrow that skirt <laughs> three months ago she was like you don't have any tartan mini skirts like oh yeah eight colors what do you need <laughs> well, i've hey. seen your walk-in closet it's very impressive it's uh uh so you've seen the <laughs> you've seen the one uh, up in liverpool like uh, maybe after the show i'll take the camera and i'll show you my my bedroom here because i'm not sure i'm on my boat in london and i'm not sure that cabin is uh my bedroom with a rail i think it's more my wardrobe with a bed wardrobe with a bed i love yeah. that well, so, so with my story oh yes so uh buried it like 12 years old listen to my mom i thought oh, you know haven't got a womb can't have a womb therefore can't have kids uh kids are the most important thing to me i used to when i was 16 i used to run the school christian union and um we had a pastor from some evangelical church come and uh, ask us well, what's the most important thing in your life and we're all supposed to say oh jesus and of course i went oh my kids and that's like apoplexy <laughs> it's like oh you're 16 and you've got children i went no obviously not idiot like like but i'm going to have kids it's the most important thing in my life uh, and i uh so i knew that i knew that the the role for me in life was going to be mother and that I, that was denied me so the next best thing was father and so i literally from 16 until when i met my amazing wife um i was looking for the mother for my kids and uh and and i, and I was very i was quite transactional about it like i was like i'm not even going to date this person because they haven't got the right job and they've not got the right attitude and the first question was which way do you vote and the second question is do you like sailing because, because like, these two things weren't going to change um and um i was you know very lucky i think in the end to find uh, my amazing wife and we have you know three amazing kids and my biggest claim to fame is i've managed to transition uh without destroying the family um mm. and we're all still together and kind of uh, i i think we're uh, so again another joke you know we've been happily married for 15 years 
we celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary next week. <laughs> but it's okay. Like we were miserable for the first 10 years and then I discovered her wardrobe and now we're best of mates. <laughs> um, uh, that's also not true. It's just a joke. But there you go. She's like this size and I'm like this size and like there's nothing we can share <laughs> ever. Like, although she continually steals my scarves and uh, because, you know, they're one size. So I buried the idea of, Ring a woman, like it couldn't happen, and got on with my life. You know, uh, reasonably successful business, kind of reasonably successfully career. Three amazing kids, kind of got them all through school, the rest of it. And then ten years ago, um, I had I had a business partner who was uh, turning the business. I have a consultancy business, and you know, this guy had come in and was running it, and we kind of trebled the revenues, and it was kind of hitting five million and all looking kind of rosy and then i woke up one morning i thought i don't like the culture we've created um and um long story short i quit i left my own business um because of it and then uh, start decided i would not build a business to sell it i decided i would stick with a consultancy and just be a um at that point a one-man band and um Long story short, the, the the big business went into administration. The administrator asked me to take it back. I said no. They said we'll give you uh, a Jaguar XKR, and I went oh okay. <laughs> and so uh, and so they gave me a chunk of cash, and I took the business back. And I started running it for a year, saying we need to change the culture. We need to change the culture, and you can't change the culture in the business by telling people you're going to change the culture. And so I hit on this. Um, genius idea it turned out in the end to uh, turn up to the staff christmas party on the 16th of december 2012 in a miss uh sexy santa outfit from Anne summers and a really bad wig i'll show you the photograph at some point like it's awful and uh, i got my pa to do my makeup and god bless her she did the best she could but like i looked terrible but then i, I kind of you know this was like kind of my one opportunity to you know put an outfit together and so i put an outfit together like i i, I bought a pair of you know knee length boots with three inch heels that were amazingly uncomfortable and um, i bought jewelry <laughs> rings and kind of clip on ears and then a necklace a diamante necklace which i still got um and um you know i uh, i shaved my legs because you know can't possibly wear a skirt with hairy legs um like it um all things that actually, if you're a boy that's going to put a dress on for a bit of a laugh, I was probably taking it too far, like in you know, hindsight. Anyway, I stood up in front of the, uh, I walked into the the studio that we have um, with my PA in front of me and my financial director behind me. They were both wearing matching sexy elf outfits and we were all doing single ladies, kind of as, you know, single ladies is playing and, uh, you know, 40 staff and they all burst out laughing and kind of when they realized that, oh, look, that's Nick in the middle. And so afterwards, I kind of, I was terrified, by the way, and I, I go on stage and give presentations my entire life. That's what I do as a coach presenters and uh, never get frightened. Like you put me in front of 5,000 people to talk about how to sell and <laughs> my heart rate doesn't raise at all. Oh, but put me in a dress in front of my staff, and I was terrified. Like, and I don't really drink, and I'd had a few drinks in order to get the Dutch courage to do this. Um, anyway, I got the mic afterwards, and I said, "Right, we'll, we'll stop laughing." Um, 
there's a serious point to this. Today's the day we change the culture of the business. Stop thinking of me as daddy, wait till you get home and you're in trouble. Think of me as mummy. Have you got your pack lunch? Have you got your schedule? Go out, do your best, you know, get into trouble. And when it all goes wrong, call mummy and I'll come out, sort the customer out, bring you home safe. But my job is not to punish you for getting it wrong. My job as chief, exec chief executive is to be the wind beneath your wings and help you fly and help you to succeed. Think of me as mummy, not daddy. And then the dress, which is at least four sizes too big for me now, but that's another story, is on a mannequin <laughs> with a load of pins, because <laughs> nobody makes mannequins that size, um, in my in my office, and uh, and uh, with the diamante necklace around it, because you know, <laughs> it's got style, haven't you? Got and, uh, it sits in my uh, it sits in my office, and I use it used it past tense now to change my behaviour. So when they came in with a problem. You know, IBM had been on the phone and said this. Um, my male coached, male attitude to that is, oh, okay, that's a problem, I need to solve it. So do this, do that, do the other, and off you go. Um, and then they go away feeling a bit stupid for coming and asking me silly questions. Now they come in and they go, oh, IBM on the phone, what do we do? And I look past them and I see the dress on the mannequin and I go, okay, what's a more feminine approach to solving that problem? And it's like, oh, that sounds terrible. What do you think our options are? And they go, oh, well, we think it could be A or B or C. I go, well, that B sounds really good. And what would you need off me for, to do that? Oh, well, we could do this, this, and this. Oh, great. Let me know how it goes. Well done. And now they go away with possibly the same answer. Like, but usually, interestingly, not. It's a better answer, one I haven't thought of. But that's great. Um, but now it's their, it's their solution, not mine. <clears throat> and so when they go and execute it, if something happens, they feel empowered to modify the plan. And so the small light to work. And so as a consequence, the business turned around. We went from, well, I think uh, 2012, we lost 100,000. 2013, we broke even. 2014, we made a quarter of a million. 2015, we made half a million. 2016, the trend has gone, up, gone on. Wow. To the extent where I now, the management team run it, I have nothing to do with the business at all. Um, they run it and I, I do other stuff around the outside. Um, so it can big success story for changing your management style and empowering people by thinking like a woman instead of thinking and acting like a boy. Well, yeah. and one of your, I mean, your superpowers is sales and you believe that sales is feminine. Talk a little bit more about that or the so, future of sales is feminine. Yeah, the future. So, uh, there's a, there's a big, if I, if I ask people to shut their eyes and think, and think of what a salesman looks like and what a salesman's like, right? Uh, generally speaking, people's, the, you know, the mental image, the analogies that come to head are, you know, well, you know, they're a foot soldier at the front end fighting the battle, right? And, and they're going out and beating the competition and winning the deal and coming back and bringing the scalp and, boom, you know, that's the, that's the, the imagery. And so um, we have big businesses when they're doing, big pursuits they set up what they call a war room and in the war room that's where you know all the deal team meets and you know and that's that's the mentality the mentality is it's a fight and we have to go to battle and therefore what we need is soldiers and therefore what we need is this very masculine kind of attitude well that was now i'm sure it ever worked but if it did work it stopped working when uh, al gore invented the internet like only people of a certain age remember Al Gore trying to invent the internet. But there you go. So, uh, and because of the internet, now 
and you know whatever my competitive advantage was yesterday is now on my home page and my competitors have all copied it and so like and now you know the world's so interconnected like i don't have unique selling points anymore like um it's about kind of building relationships and sometimes we have to work with our competitors and sometimes a competitor on this bid is our partner on the next one and so you know it's not it's no longer a battle and a fight it's now much more of a finesse it's much more of building a community and in the community are the people who are buying off you and maybe the people who are selling to you and maybe your competitors and it's more of a collegiate kind of community building skills and then social media has the word social in it and you know that social selling and social marketing and you know that's they're they're all community building skills and at the heart of that uh is a much more feminine mindset i'm not saying you have to be female to sell like i'm saying if you want to be a really really good salesperson you have to be a really good listener and you have to be able to connect you have to have a high eq and the ability to connect and build relationships over a sustained period and that's like a female superpower it's not a male superpower like it's not about going in and beating the competition anymore it's about going in and understanding the competition and trying to find a win-win and so my entire sales career which you know so far spans 35 years uh, all of the best salespeople i've ever worked with have all been female and have all approached it as a yeah there's a leaderboard and yes there's this competition and the boys all do this but actually the girls at the back getting the work done and building the relationships that always put them at the top because they've understood that sales is not about going in and bragging and i you know like before i transitioned i inadvertently i used to use an analogy with salespeople. like well, imagine that you know you're being chatted up at the bar like only a trans woman would do this only only i could come up with an analogy where i'm the woman at the bar like, before i'd ever experienced it but imagine you're a woman at the bar and some guy comes up and sits down next to you and says i'm a merchant banker I've got a big car, I've got a big boat, I'm going to Cannes for three weeks. I mean, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm great, I'm wonderful, you know. She fancy going out with me. And then another guy comes down, sits down, <laughs> and turns to you and goes, oh, your hair looks really nice. Have you just had it done? Is that a bit of a tan? Have you just been on holiday? So what do you do for a living? Okay, and where do you live? Like, which one of these guys are you going to give your phone number to and, and anybody who here who says it depends how big the car is like shame on you shame on you i get that but it's not a ferrari right it's just a port you know i've never met a nice porsche driver like there you go just putting it out there like i'm sorry if some of you own porsches me i've never met a female porsche owner as well there is nothing that says i'm a little bit inadequate elsewhere than a red porsche i'm just saying like well, I won't tell you what our last car was then. Well, there you go. Probably a Cayenne. It's fine. That's, you've got kids. It's okay. It's those little red things. <laughs> I've got a red Boxster. I'm successful. No. Anyway, don't like that's. I've been using that analogy for 20 years. Like that selling is not about you and how great you think you are. And yeah. if you turn up and throw up, 
you know, let me tell you why we're the best thing. Let me tell you what we do and how we do it and why we're the best thing in the world. Like that doesn't work. What works is turning up and going, so what problems have you got? Mm. You fix them. That's what selling is about. And it's a much more feminine approach. Obviously, it's far, it's easier to find feminine approaches if you look for females or trans females. And um, because we just think differently. And there is some science behind that, in fact, actually. If you if when you put a brain, a human brain, under a CAT scan and you give it problems to solve, uh, in a brain that has been brought up as male, because it transgender is kind of really interesting me. But what happens is you can see the synapses flying in the hemispheres. And what happens in a male brain is the left brain talks to the left brain, the right brain talks to the rest brain, and there's very little inter um into hemispherical kind of connectivity. Whereas in uh, people who have been socialized as female, there's lots of interconnector. And mm, that's so, and then given the neuroscience stuff that I love, that makes so much sense and is really interesting. Yeah, I also wanna I have a little spiel I did on stage about, uh, the Victorians used to believe that um, women were uh, not as bright as men um, because for two reasons, number one, their brains were bigger. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think the brains are the same size. It's just their skulls are thicker. And um, but anyway, um, but they did used to do tests where they would get simple maths problems to two different genders, and the men would come back with the answers quicker, and they would therefore assume that that was a sign of intelligence. But actually, I think what happens is when you say to a boy, "What's two plus two? The answer is four. Right, and there's a competition to get it out for the other boys. Like four, four, four. Whereas you say two point two, what's two plus two uh, to a woman? The answer is two what? Because if that's two plus two, kids are not involved. Oh, you mean numbers? Oh, yes, the answer is four. Right. I'm just, <laughs> like, and and and, and the, the the neuroscience backs it up. Like when you ask a question to a woman, it it, it, spark, it sparks off the other hemisphere, and it's like, well, we have to put that in context. And then, and so women have a tendency to think about a problem more holistically and less kind of you know, bluntly than men. And that's the skill we want. Like that's what builds communities. That's what builds, you know, men ignore an awful lot of visual clues from people. So they'll say something and completely miss that that didn't land very well. Mm -hmm. Whereas all the women in the room go, oh, she didn't like that. Oh, that didn't go down well. And all those cues that you're picking on that, that's their life skills, their sales skills. Like women, like I have a, you know, big passion for women who have been out of the business environment for 10 or 15 years because they've been bringing up kids. The current, you know, most of the common view right now is, oh, well, they've, their business skills have retarded and so they're not fit for work and they, you know, they can't come back and their confidence is low and their confidence may be low, but actually what they've been doing for that last 10 or 15 years are exactly the skills that we need in the workplace that we don't have at the moment. Their organizational skills are better. Like, honestly, getting three kids to school with their packed lunches, like, before 9 o'clock every single day, like, that's a major task. Like, getting three men into the boardroom to make a decision is, you know, easier <coughs> than that. <clears throat> so, you know, this, that skill set, that organization, discipline, the, you know, the, the ability to think and plan, all of that is really, they're really important business skills, but nobody ever sits with a, you know, mother who spent 10 years chasing her tail and says, Archie, you've got transferable skills that you've learned. You're getting a lot of love on Instagram, by the you way. Know, on getting one. a teenager, getting, uh, 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 getting my 17-year-old teenager to tidy her room 
is almost the hardest sell I've ever had to do, right? And you, and, and you learn very quickly as a, well, definitely as a mother, but probably as a parent, that just going in and saying, tidy your room, isn't going to work. Like, and, 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 and the really interesting thing, which I think is fascinating, is you have to change your sales attitude your sales approach to kids as, as they as they grow up so up till five you just tell them what to do right and the fun they do it like but once they get to 10 or 11 they start to question it and they start going well why do i need to do that and yeah you, know, you you get the boys in the room will go well because i just told you to do that so you, know, you can see them shouting at their kids because mariella mariella wants to know if you have any tips for this yes oh yes yes, yes. Instagram. Oh, absolutely yes and um, <clears throat> once you get to 10 and 11 they're going to say to you, why do I need to do that? And they're not questioning your authority, which is the way it feels, particularly to the boys. They just want to know why they need to do it. Like, And all you need to do is give them an answer. So I've got my 10-year-old daughter, seven years ago, to tidy her room by saying, well, the cleaners are coming in tomorrow, and they won't be able to clean your room because they can't even see the carpet. <laughs> oh, okay. And then all the clothes go on the bed, right? And then, you know. Well, at least we can hoover the carpet, right? But you, <laughs> then, then they get to kind of teenagers, and now, and now they, you know, they don't just want to know why. Now they need to actually understand that there's a reason, a benefit for them. You need to actually sell it to them and not tell them. Definitely not tell them. And so, when she's seventeen, the answer is the cleaners are in tomorrow. Do you want them to bother with your room or not? And the answer is, oh yeah, probably should. Like it's starting to smell. Okay, <laughs> there's a couple of tech. You know, do you need help? Like, do you want me to come in? And I, last week, this is true. Last week, I tidied a room for her. Like, I went. It took me an hour oh, because I'm technically retired at the moment, which means I, I, I did tell some people I was unemployed because of between contract, and that didn't sit well. So I'm now telling everybody I'm retired. So I've got a bit of time, and so I spent an hour and a half tidying a room. Literally, couldn't see the carpet before. I took all of her clothes, put them all on the bed. Kind of, I didn't clean. I just tidied, and then I kind of put all of her. If you see my wardrobe, like all my all my short skirts together, all my long skirts together, all my blouses are kind of colour coded, like like it's all kind of a little bit OCD. <laughs> like whereas hers, like everything is in the same pile in the room. It's very. I walk in and go, God, are you trans? Because this feels like a boys' room. Like it doesn't feel like a girls' room. I'm just saying, it's okay to be trans, by the way. If you, but she's not. Although I think she might, she might be bi because she did because she did open up uh, last week with a dad are you bi or lesbian <laughs> <laughs> okay that's an interesting conversation to have with your 17 year old isn't it <laughs> so it doesn't matter i'm happily married to your mother like i have no idea whether that makes me bi or lesbian or straight or whatever because they're all stupid labels like who cares <laughs> anyway so I think we've got well, the future. The well, I was, asking, I was saying the future of sales is feminine. I think you made a really great argument for that, which is I, I totally agree with. And I think sales is one of the areas where women feel underconfident, you know. And I think that's interesting, given the fact that they've got all the great skills for it. And I think it's the same way with social media. I mean, that's one of the reasons that that uh, you know I started Tech Pixies was to help women feel confident with technology, so that they could go and use technology to make the world a better place. And we have. I ran a social media crash course yesterday and I asked everybody, okay, so what would you love to use social media for? And the, the stuff that people wanted to do, the, the, the world changing stuff that people wanted to do was 
unbelievable. And, uh, you know, and it's if you've got the power of social media, you've got the power of sales uh, and you can execute both of those skills really well, you have the ability to really make an incredible impact in this world. What do you think stops women from using those superpowers and how can we help them to really lean into those superpowers and start believing in themselves and start using it to change the world? Let me answer the question a bit obliquely. Right. So I think, I think the thing that that's interesting, um, well, I find interesting, but I can't assume everybody else does. I spent 45 years living as a boy, working as a boy. I've spent 10 years working and operating as a woman. And so I see things, I think, that uh, cisgendered women, that cis is the medical term for where your sex lines with your gender. Right? Um, there'll be a whole point of right wing terms. There's, 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 statistically, there are 2,000 women in the UK who aren't prepared to accept that I might be a woman. Like and and they're, we're, they're often referred to as trans exclusionary radical feminists, um, although apparently they find that offensive. So, with the exception of those, right? Uh, I, so, my view, my observation, is different because I I've gone through experiences that we all go through as women, but I didn't when I was forty five, not when I was. So the first time I was groped in public, um. I was 45 on the tube, right? I wasn't 16 and trying to figure it out with a 16 year old's experience set and a 16 year old skill set. And, you know, and so, you know, I have an interesting view, I think, on that side of things. I also didn't benefit from, uh, you know, the life coaching that lots of women probably most women get from their mothers and their circle of friends. So like I didn't know that walking down a street in New York at three o'clock in the morning with a mini skirt and a pair of over knee boots was going to get me sexually attacked and had to sit and explain to NYPD special victims unit why I'd done such a stupid thing. And by the way, tell my best friend that I'd just been attacked and have her tell me what we were wearing and experience all the shame of realizing that actually maybe I made some bad choices and maybe, you know, women my age, 50% of us have either been physically or sexually attacked. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about it because it, we feel ashamed of it. Now it's quite an interesting position for me to be in because all of that, like I haven't been anesthetized to it. Like, like I haven't, you know, I haven't got used to the idea that, you know, men are going to be predatory and, you know, they're not just predatory sexually. So I think what happens is I sit in the boardroom, I sit in meetings and I sit and experience things for the first time that I think lots of the girls have forgotten and take as normal. Mm. The big example is... What I do for a living is uh, I help people figure out 
what their sales messaging should be. So I, I sit with organizations, all shapes and sizes, all over the world, and I ask them, why do people buy your thing? And why would they buy your thing off you rather than somebody else? And I'm pretty good at it. Like, I'm, I'm you know, my when I coach bid deals, they win three quarters. I've coached 20,000. Like, I, like I'm, this is my core competency. If I tell you this is what you should say to your customers in order for your customers to buy more, I'm probably right. Just because I've done, I've spent 27 years doing this. I, like, I, 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 I'm pretty good at it. When I was a boy, and I would do some consultancy, and I would say, right, okay, so I've listened to you talk and kind of in the session. Here's what I think your value proposition should be, and I'm given the value proposition. I never, like in the last, you know, the last 10 years of doing that as a boy, nobody ever, ever said anything other than, are you around tomorrow to come and see the customer? Because, you know, we want you to say what you just said in front of the customer, because that sounds brilliant. And the first time I did it, as Nikki, first time I did, I ran a consultancy session um, as a woman. I should say, I can, as a trans woman. Like, I, I'm, I'm, there's a whole, I'm not a woman, I'm a trans woman, and I'm quite comfortable with that. Like, um, so the first time I ran it as a trans woman, I delivered the value proposition. And the, uh, the lead client, the lead, the sales guy, um, actually with uh, HP. Um, big deal we were bidding for like 10 years ago and uh, he said for the first time in my life he said hmm, I'm not sure that's right wow and I was like hmm. okay so I did a very male thing which is are oh, you paying me eight thousand pound a day to tell you what you need to do to win like I win 75 percent of the deals that I coach I've been doing this for 30 years I've done 20,000 I am the best in the world at this of course that's what you should fucking say like which is a very male response right and of course he went oh well guess you're right right I had to bully them into it and then wow that's so interesting to live that live both of those experiences as the same person saying the same thing yes absolutely but it gets better i think because it happened two or three times and then i was sat down when i have a one of my mentors is my lawyer heather who's amazing like um and she you know she's been my lawyer for 30 years and we got on like a house up and i sat down with her over dinner and i said i can't believe this i said can i when i tell people when give people my advice like they, all these men are kind of pushing against it when they never used to do that. And she said, well, you know, welcome to the sisterhood. <laughs> like, wow. The way it works. And I was like, yeah. oh, so I keep having to defend it. And she went, oh, not sure that's going to work. That's a very boy way of, you know, you're bullying them. You know, that's, that's a very masculine approach. I said, well, what should I do? And she said, well, I don't know. Like, you need to find your own way. But there has to be a more feminine approach to that. So I went away, I thought about it, and the next session I ran, where it happened, uh, I said, this is what you should say. The male in charge went, well, I'm not so sure. And instead of what going to battle, I, I stepped back and went, oh, okay, so um, what would be better? And there was this little stunned silence when he thought about it, and he went, well, um, um, uh, well, no, I guess it's probably okay. Oh. Okay, great. It was as easy as that. I now call it my judo mind trick. You know, a little bit like, you know, when Obi-Wan says, these are not the drawers you're looking for. Droids. Droids you're looking for. 
so I am um, uh, I now teach it to people. I teach it to women. I kind of sit down and go, like, here's what you do. Like, you don't when you want your idea to get your idea across. Like, don't put your idea out and defend it. That's a very man. We teach men to do that. Put their idea out, get behind it, defend it, kind of push the idea. Oh, you don't need to do that. Kind of, you need to judo mind trick. Okay, so here's the idea. What what's better than that? Like, how would that be better? What else could you do? And before you know it, they've all coalesced around the idea. Maybe they've improved it, and maybe got better at it. What I found is uh, my win rates have improved. Wow. When I and I think it's improved because now, when they go in, they're not going in taking Nick's message. They're going in taking their message that Nikki helped them develop. And I so love that. And you've got a comment on Instagram where. Sejal says, the power of passing over the choice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's and and when we teach people to coach, because that's kind of what I spend most of my time now, instead of coaching deals, I, I coach coaches. Um, uh, it's about pulling rather than telling. The problem with telling, so particularly in a sales situation, but any kind of coaching, this is true with your kids as well, by the way. The problem with telling your kids what to do or your boss or whatever is that uh you let them off the accountability hook so i come in and say what you need to do is this i go okay nikki said we should do this right and they go and do it and uh so let's say i say the way to win this is to stand on one leg stick a finger in your ear whistle dixie everybody buys that right and you go okay that sounds completely utterly insane but nikki's the expert let's do what nikki says and then when we fail it's nikki's fault mm. right? you can turn around and go well we, uh, you know you, you you paid for Nikki to come in. Nikki told us to do this stupid, bizarre thing, but we did it anyway, and we lost. Not my fault. Nikki's fault. Right? So the trick with coaching is I, you don't tell people what to do, but what you do is you say, well, I don't know the client. I don't know your situation. Like, But what I do know is that this has helped other people in the past. Statistically, this doubles your chances of winning, do you think it's something you should try? And they sit there and go, oh, well, if it doubles, we'll give it a go. Well, great, let's give it a go. And if it doesn't work, well, we'll do something else next time. And now they've decided to do it. They accept the consequences of doing it. I haven't told them what to do. It was their plan. I was just asking the questions to get them to the right place. It's exactly the same with your kids, particularly your teenagers. Do not tell. Anybody over the age of 14 or 15 does not want to be told what to do. So stop telling them what to do. What you need to do is to say, so what's the problem? What's the issue? Okay, well, when I was your age, like, this is what I did. Like, I have no idea if that works today, you know. But what are you going to do? And then hold them accountable for deliver for doing what they said they were going to do. Mm. I, I, we, we're having a little bit of a tension at the moment with my teenager, my because my two are not teenagers, big two are not teenagers anymore, because um, she's got her first boyfriend and uh, she wants to stay out. She just finished all her mock exams and stuff. And so she wants to stay out till after midnight with him every night. And, and of course, my wife, who's a very kind of traditional Catholic, kind of, oh, that's outrageous, I can't do that. Like, it lies awake worrying. And so uh, my response to it was to, when my wife wasn't there, was to sit down with my daughter, 17-year-old, and my 20-year-old son who's living at home at the moment, and said, listen, guys, looking mainly at my 20-year-old, I need your help. And, and Ed looks at him and goes, oh, what? I said, well, you know, when the two of you are out at night, your mum doesn't sleep. 
if she's a GP, she's working really hard and it's kind of like, we need to get her to sleep. And so will you do me a favor of when you come home after midnight, make sure you go into our room to let your mother know that you're in the house and you're safe so that she can sleep. Ed looks at me and goes, you know, I'm in bed at 10 o'clock every night. I went, oh, really? And then he looked at me and went, oh. <laughs> and he turned to Rachel and went, Rachel? <laughs> and Rachel went, yeah, okay. And, uh, and then last night she came home at 11 mm -hmm. because she felt more comfortable going into the bedroom. She said to her mum, like, I'm home when mum was still awake watching telly than leaving it till midnight. So don't, you know, once they get to 14, 15, I think you have to stop issuing instructions. Same in the boardroom. Like, you know, there's no point telling a director what to do. Like it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, the accountability has to sit with them. The decision has to sit with them legally. So your job is to go, well, here are the options. What do you think we should do? And have them go, well, I think we should do this. Okay, great. Like you, you have to, you have to coach, not train. Training is different. Like training is, you know, when, when I'm, I'm, I'm a rugby coach, like I don't do it anymore. Not that feminine. <laughs> Break a nail. <laughs> but when I was coaching rugby kids, there's a bit for training, right? So here's how you hold the ball. Here's how you make the pass. Here's what you need to do. Once you've done the training, you put them in the game. Like I'm not training anymore. Now I'm coaching. And so my job is not to stand on the touchline like the parents and scream at them. You missed this. You missed that. Move it left. Move it left. I like all that rubbish, like which doesn't help because they're in the game. The adrenaline is like the last thing they're listening to is, you know, the stupid idiot father on the, you know, touchline who thinks he knows more about everything and everything, and therefore is the perfect rugby coach, but won't actually put a pair of boots on and coach. You know that guy, the one who's going to sit in the bar afterwards with three pints, discussing how these eleven-year-olds are going to, you know, no. My job is to watch the game. Uh, not look for the mistakes because when they drop the ball, do you know the thing about kids? They know they drop the ball. Mm. They don't need anybody to say, you missed that tackle. Like, they do not. Tackle. Like my job is when they put the good tackle in is to be on the sideline next to little Jimmy when little Jimmy's put the, the tackle in. I go, Jimmy, well done, mate. <laughs> Let's have some more of that. Get back in the game. Good play, sunshine. Go for it. And they pick themselves up. And they go and do another hard tackle. And it's great. Like great pass. Great catch, you know, Sarah, like you just caught that ball. That was fantastic, brilliant. Let's have some more of that. Well done, Sunshine. And then in the break, I've got my list of all the, everything, every team member has done something good. And my my break is right, okay, so Jim, you, this was brilliant. Love the way you did that. Let's have some more of this. This was fantastic. Claire, that was good. Like That's your job as a leader. That's your job as a manager is to list all the things that the people who work for you did today that was amazing and tell them and say thank you. Don't mm. list all the things that went wrong. Yeah. Because who cares? Like, you don't. Look, That's a skill you have to learn as a, as a manager, I know for sure. I didn't start out that way. We've got a great comment here from Gail, which is nice link between coaching and accountability and taking responsibility. Totally agree that this is also great for teens, natural consequences also. Uh, I love right, that. So that's, yes. And I think the, the, the really important thing for teens is you have to let them make their own mistakes. Like you, we can't protect them. Like you know, my my um, middle child's just broken up from his long term girlfriend, and it's heartbreaking to watch. Like that, like we're just we're all kind of dancing around in you know broken glass at the moment because he's literally had his heart broken. 
you can't you can't stop it like <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it and the sooner i think you realize or the sooner we realize that you know kids have to make their own mistakes and what what we have to do as parents is i think to make the make the environment make it safe for them to make mistakes so that those mistakes are, and and then help them figure out how not to make those mistakes again by asking the right questions right not um you know not kind of you know pointing the mistakes out to them oh that was stupid wasn't it like that's that's not that's not i don't think that's particularly good management or particularly good parenting but teenagers are you know can you i mean it's like uh, I look at my kids and think, you know, I'm really glad that I live my life as a woman now. I'm really, really glad I wasn't a 16-year-old girl. I was a 16-year-old boy, and uh, and I'm and I'm my hormones were a nightmare, <laughs> but they're nothing compared to the, to what's going on in my daughter's head at the moment. Like, oh my god, like I I dodged a bullet, I think by you know switching genders post teens i've got a load of, i do a lot of coaching for trans kids and oh, you know like it's a it's a difficult time at 16 17 18. i used to be an explorer scout leader um which is um uh 16 to 21 and um i had 50 odd kids and five leaders and mixed and uh, you know that's such a difficult time of their life where they're questioning everything and they're pushing everything and they're you know they're, they're trying to find out who they are and what they stand for and like it's it's a you know it's a hard time for them and it isn't really helped by a whole load of people coming in telling them what to do yeah i think that's a great point well, we've had some amazing people staying on with us for this whole time. I'd like to open up some questions. We, this is going to go onto the podcast, but we always honor the people who've been listening. If they have any questions or they want to get in on the conversation, I want to thank everyone who has been watching live. It's nice to be back live. We um, we normally do a live podcast every week with our amazing guests, uh, and then we post it on to uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, etc., for people to listen to who can't make it live. But if you are here live and you have a question for Nikki, please drop it in. We'd love to ask her that question. Um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your journey. What it's like to be on both sides um, of of you know of that journey, and uh, also for being so inspirational and uh, really, you know, I believe very much that we are our best self when we are our true authentic self. And, uh, you know, I, I love that you've leaned into that and been able to embody that and uh, make that transition in your career and also in your life. Um, do you have, you know, as, as this is Pride Month, do you have any t tips or recommendations for how we can support uh, people from all different backgrounds, particularly the LGBTQ plus community? Uh, if we are cisgendered, for example, what are things that we can do um, to support that community and uh, to embody and embrace the uniqueness of everyone? Uh, so I, um, if you ever get an email off me, you will see that in my email signature, I do not have my pronouns. Um, and the reason I do not have my pronouns um, is I don't often 
use pronouns to talk about myself. Like, it's not, oh, look, she's arrived. <laughs> like, uh, uh, pronouns are something you use for other people. Um, and I sort of, I, I understand that if you are, uh, if you have a preference for kind of non-traditional, non-binary pronouns, so if you want they and them, then you probably have to tell people that. that. Uh, but, like, honestly, which pronoun do you think I want? <laughs> like, and so my response to people when they say, well, what pronouns do I use, is to look at them slightly oddly and go, oh, okay, that feels like a stupid question, but okay, like, I don't care. You use whatever pronouns you want. And, uh, but just a word of caution, if you decide to use male pronouns for me, everybody listening is going to assume you're an idiot or worse, a transphobe. Like, and so uh, use whatever you want. I don't care because your use of pronouns helps me identify the idiots in the room. And I always like to know where the idiots are in the room. And so knock yourself out. And uh, it's really quite interesting when I'm in a group, particularly when I'm coaching a group and somebody gets the pronoun wrong for me, like they don't like being laughed at. And it's not me laughing, it's everybody else around the room. Like, because they know I've already said this. Like, they're not, you know, it's not that shock of, oh my God, we might have offended Nikki. Nothing offends Nikki. Like, but this guy is just labeled. It's always a good, it's always a guy. It's always a man. Like, a guy, a guy that says he. Yeah, like, it's always a man that said that, that insists. And usually Uber drivers, by the way, like, there's something in, I don't know, just before, just before they put the hand on your leg and go, oh, you know, oh. I don't put my pronouns on. Every, all my team, I never, I would never ask anybody to do it, but all my team all put their pronouns on their emails. And, uh, and I think the reason they do it is they're trying, to, they're trying to tell me that it's okay that mine have changed. So mm. the reason why people put she and her and him and on, on, on their emails has got nothing to do with what they want to be called. It's got everything to do with sending a message to the trans community that it's okay to be trans. But I, it's a very public statement of affirmation that gender is fluid, gender is, you, you can change it, you can be who you want to be. And honestly, makes me weep. Like when I get an email from somebody who has has put that in or taken the effort to, to do that, like it, 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 it's very, 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 very supportive. So if you're trans, I don't think you should. But if you're not, then I, if you do, like you are, you're going to make, you're going to bring a tear to my eye. And I that is a really interesting perspective. So just by having the pronouns there, you're sort of, you're saying, I support gender uh, fluidity. Yes. I love that. Yes. That's, that's really profound. I, I, and it's a really, um, it's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, that simple thing to do. Like, yeah. It doesn't take any effort. Yeah. Put in your signature, and you, you know, literally, when your email hit lands in a trans person's mailbox, it'll bring a tear to their eye. Yeah, it's this sort of I am trans friendly. It's that. It's that sort of. Yeah, I love that. Um, we've got a couple questions for you. So, and I know we were going to do a short podcast, but it's so hard to do because you're so fascinating. I love talking talk to you. too much. No, you don't. I just adore. I just love spending time with you. I, I always walk away feeling like my life's been enhanced. So I know the people who are watching today are feeling that way. And those who are listening on record, 
they're still listening because they feel that way too. Um, so uh, Julia says, I have a question for Nikki. How do you deal with a room full of men as a woman when they're trying to bully you uh, to do what they think is best when you're feeling that you are being bullied? Okay, so I think we should start off with saying, I have never felt bullied. And um, I think that might be because, you know, I had 30 years I've been in the boardroom as a boy, right? Um, and and uh, and so I'm, I can't speak from experience because I just it just doesn't happen. And um, I, I don't think like I had I ha have experienced kind of bullying um, in the workplace, but not kind of not over ideas like um, over my, my favorite one is like I everyone wants to tell me my skirts are too short and doesn't comply to the office guidelines on skirt length I was in Australia I was in um, I was running a training course in uh, Johannesburg and one of the girls in the course came up to me and said oh you know you're breaching our guidelines skirts are supposed to be no more than four fingers above the knee and yours is obviously shorter so the next day I came in with a micro mini skirt and I said, so, what do you think, girls? I'm kind of going, oh, right. Oh, oh. I said, well, then, I was told it should be four fingers above the knee, and this one is. And I got standing, I got a round of applause and a standing ovation from the women in the room because I was like, oh, don't tell me what to wear because that's close to telling me what to think, which is really close to kind of wanting to stone me because you don't like my ideas. Like, uh, girl, I don't really bully easily. Like, um, and so I'm not sure I, I can help. I, I would say one thing, though. Every, everywhere I go and I talk about, uh, I'm a, I'm was on the um, Financial Times run some lists. I, I was on the outstanding list of hundred LGBT role models, and then in 2017, 2018, I made the heroes list, which is women who support women in business, which is the one I care about more. And my passion is trying to help women and girls in in the workplace. Everybody asks me, uh, can we run assertiveness training for our women? Like the one thing that stops them getting promoted and stops getting their ideas is that they're just not as assertive as the men. And my response to that is, I don't think we should do that. Like, I think the problem in the business, most businesses, is that we have far too many assertive people trying to assert their opinions and mm. more assertive people in isn't going to work. That feels like what we're trying to do is turn women into men in order for them to be successful. What we should do is change the business so that the business doesn't require people to be assertive. And so one of the practical tips that I give and I kind of institute in all of my teams um, is you in, in every meeting, you should have a list of all the people who are in the room and you should tick if you hear their voice so that you, you you know everybody has contributed. And if you get to the end of the meeting, you haven't heard anybody's voice, you allow enough space to be able to say, Claire, you haven't said anything, what do you think, right? And then I put a second tick next to them if I've heard an opinion. Because sometimes you hear a voice which is, well, I agree with Frank. That's not an opinion, like you're just advocating. I said, no, what do you really think? Like, tell me, you know, what's the problem with that? What's the issue with that? Make sure you get everybody. If you anybody's interested, if you look on my, if you Google, 
corporate drag queen and find my YouTube channel. Look for chicken curry. I have a, an analogy called chicken curry, which is about you know what do we need to do in order to make workplaces more inclusive. And I think that bullying of women is is best solved by trying to make all of the meetings more inclusive. Uh, I I definitely don't think if you're experiencing at the moment there's anything you can do other than to make a note of it and deal with it afterwards when you're coaching people you uh what you do is is, is you you create a situation where they do things that you want them to do and then you praise them and you praise them in the moment like that was a great pass or that was a great tackle or, i love the way you pitched this i love the way you said that or the way you managed that client when they came in that was brilliant like you praise in the moment you never ever correct in the moment so you never sit and go right i didn't like the way you did that let's you know you do that differently like this let's work on this as a problem like you have to do that retrospectively so what you need to do when you're being bullied is to make and make notes of the situation and then a month later when everybody's forgotten about it and not emotional about it then sit down with them and go okay so we were in this situation a month ago. This is what you said. This is, or do you remember the situation? Where this is how it made me feel. Like this is where it put me, right? And you know, I'm wondering if we can find a way of working together where I can, in a very polite way, tell you when you need to shut the fuck up. Or you know, yeah. Is but cool. this is you're talking. I mean, Eve Roski wrote a great book um, called Fair Play, and one of the things she talks about this is about a relationship conversation but she talks about high cognition low emotion and when you're having these tough conversations you want to have high cognition low emotion but I love how you said that like okay if we're in this situation again and you do this to me how do I deal with it we've um Annette Shaw who's watching um she is actually a coach that helps people who've been bullied in the workplace uh kind of recover and and come back from that she's now a laughter yoga coach. And I love that about her, that she brings- A laughter yoga coach. Yes, she's the oh laughter yoga coach. I love that, I love that. Like I have three hours of comedy, none of it clean, by the way. Like we, I can make people laugh. Yeah, so she knows the, 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 the healing power of laughing, you know, from coming out of all of that. Um, there's one more question here from Gail, and then we'll wrap it up. I just wanna really acknowledge you for taking the time today to be with us. Um, Gail says, Nikki, what are the coaching questions you use most or are most effective? I've done a little coaching training and loved it. Okay, so uh, um, uh, let me dissect it a little bit, right? Because lots of the coaching training that people have done, in my experience, is kind of life coaching. And I don't life coach. Like, so I'm not, not going to sit down with people and go, where do you see yourself in five years' time? And, you know, that's, that's not me. Like, I'm... Uh, First and foremost, sales coach, deal coach, and uh, and then you know, coach people in the business setting. It's not about life aspirations and stuff. Um, so, so I don't really have a set of questions to draw a person to the right place. What we have is a set of techniques that we teach coaches. Um, I, I guess. Uh, there's two I'll share very quickly. Again, I, I think on my YouTube channel, I've got longer videos for these as well, if you're interested. Uh, one is uh, called Ted's High, which is a way of not saying why to people, right? So why are you doing that? Which, which you know, somebody says, uh, oh, I, don't, I can't imagine the situation. So I bid to see the customer, right? And, and I'm going to do this, right? The tendency is to sit there and go, why are you going to do that? And the problem is, 
asking that question that way feels pejorative it feels like i'm saying well you're an idiot doing that's the wrong thing to do like don't do that and so ted's pie is a way of of coaching yourself to not put yourself in that position with the coachee and um, t-e-d-s-p-i-e i'm gonna put myself on the spot now and remember what they all stand for tell me right so i'm gonna do this all right tell me about that not why are you doing it just tell me about it it's less pejorative opens them up right if that doesn't work I'll explain that explain that to me same thing okay uh, d describe some describe that but then you shift right so once i've opened them up with ted now i want to narrow them down with pi so so precisely what you're going to do in detail what does that mean mm. and uh explain to me how that's going to work right. ted pi open them up close them down and it's a it's a questioning technique that that allows you to to inoffensively non-pejoratively draw from the person you're talking to what they plan to do and then the trick is to right okay so we've had this little conversation let me make sure i've understood you said you're going to do this 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 and this when you're going to do it you're going to do it by this and this okay boom. you know uh, you then as the coach hold them accountable as the next time we meet like you said you were going to do this how did it go not yeah. did you do it because that's pejorative okay. how did that work like you know what are you going to do about that and how are you going to do this so that's the first one ted's pie uh, the second one is uh we do after every meeting or every interaction and um, we do what we call a micro review this is straight from the rfu handbook like i partner with them to develop business coaching uh, courses and um, the micro review is something we learn on the pitch but then we take into the boardroom and a micro review goes like this uh joy uh, what was your um what was your objective for this um podcast today okay first question you tell me what your objectives are go on joy tell me what was your what was your objective my objective was to uh, share someone's story who'd had a transition from a male to a female and to sh shed light on that. Okay, great. So if that was your objective, second question, how do you think you performed against it? I think we did it. Okay, great. Next question, really most important thing. If you were going to do one thing differently, what would it be? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Probably would have promoted it more because look at all these amazing people who are here that love what you're talking about. And we cool. should have really bigged this up and had more people here to experience this. Okay, that's a micro review. What were your objectives? How do you feel you achieved against them? What's the one thing you would do differently next time that would make it better? Like if what you do is institutionalize that micro review into every interaction you have with everybody, but you know, what will happen is you will force the other people, as a coach, you force the other people to constructively work on the things that worked well mm. and get better. And that's the focus. And uh, I believe that's a life skill. I think what we have a tendency to do everywhere, it's a very father thing, like what went wrong? What did you mess up? Like, what are you going to do about it? That doesn't help. What helps is, what's the best thing that happened today? What are you going to do more of tomorrow? What's the one thing you would do differently? If that, if you did it with your kids every night, 
Like, I come home from school. Like, you know, what did you fail today? Oh, I failed my math test. Okay. What was the best thing that happened today? Oh, I passed geography. Okay. What was it you did to pass geography? Like, oh, I did this, this, this. Okay. So thinking about maths, what's the one thing that you could learn from what you did with geography that would make maths better? Oh, because I could do the homework. Oh, shit. <laughs> what a good idea. I tell you what, why don't we have a chat about it next week and see if you've done more of the homework. And what you're doing is you, you know, you, you're coaching them without telling them what to do. They're figuring it out themselves. It's called a micro-review. It's three questions. What were your objectives? How did you How do you feel? Not that, not what do I think. Like what I think with against your objectives is irrelevant. That's not against you. Like you, I want you to think about whether or not you achieved your objective or not. And then what's the one thing you would do differently, either to improve it or to help you achieve the objective next time? And then oh, I love that. And go next time we do these things. I'll send you an email a week before going. What are you doing about promotion? Do you need help? Is there anything I can do to help with it? You know? And and then I'm a good coach, aren't I? Because I didn't just have the interaction. I've actually remembered to do the follow-up. And I've remembered to do the, you know, we like a day, a week, a month follow-up because mnemonically that works. I love that. Um, Annette says, what is your YouTube channel? Uh, so it's just Nikki Take, uh, N-I-C-C-I-T-A-K-E. Um, I think you'll find it. But it, actually, if you just Google corporate drag queen, I am the only one. It's every photograph, every video. Like, it's, you can't miss me. Uh, drag, by the way, uh, stands for dressed as girl, the opposite, opposite of which is dressed as boy. And the reason I don't do it anymore, because that's very drab. In my case, drag stands for D-R-A-G, dra uh, Drive Rapid Accountable Growth. Yes, that's what I do. I help organizations grow by making the straight white men who run them feel a bit uncomfortable. I'm going to drop that into the chat for those of you who are here. Oh, and obviously it's playing on there. <laughs> you wrote my channel. All oh, right, so that video, we should just talk about it. That video that's playing uh, is actually me singing a song. It's got a lovely story behind it. Uh, and as the video flows, we, we, uh, we put up all the names of the trans people who have been murdered for being trans over the decades. Mm. But when I wanted to record the, the song, it's written by a... Um, a band called River City People in Liverpool, and it's written about, it's called Huskinson Street, which is where the prostitutes were in the 80s. And I wanted to record it, so I tracked down the um, singer, um, um, Martha Anderson, like, and she's uh, living now in the States and kind of married. And you know, and I reached out and said, oh, I want to record this song. And she said, oh, that, that sounds brilliant, but it's not my song. It's owned by the, the, the other two members of the band who have a recording studio in Liverpool, and so I reached out to these two brothers and said, oh, you know, is it okay, I want to record a version of this. Uh, and they said, yeah, so do you want to come and use our studio? And I said, well, yeah, I was going to pay for this. So I paid to go and use the studio. And um, and then he finally said, he said, uh, he said, oh, do you want us to do a backing track for you? And I thought, well, that was really nice. So the original band, like 30 years after, got back together to record the backing track for me. And then um, and I went into the studio and I kind of recorded it. I'm not a very good singer. It took a long time. Like, Depressingly, we had 10 minutes at the end, and my 22-year-old, who is a good singer, went in, grabbed a guitar, did one one version of Look Back in Anger, and when he finished, the engineer turned to me and got, oh, that's better than the original. I was like, oh! So my kids have all the talent, not me. So we, we put this thing together, and then when we recorded it all, we put it out. 
and then uh, they were all very cute with their social media going, oh, that's not a bad version. I really like the way she's done the woo-woos. <laughs> but, um, but the song is about prostitution, um, but it has this fantastic line in it, which is um, gems that the future will hide. And originally when they were writing it, they were writing that bit of poetry is about watching these young girls selling their bodies on the street. And I kind of used this, you know, stretched metaphor to young trans people who are getting murdered for being trans. Like they are gems that the future will never see because people are killing us because we like to be pretty. Mm. Well, I a depressing note to end. No, it's not. It's I think that that brings home exactly why we're doing this interview is to raise awareness and to increase compassion and empathy and connection. And I think we've done that today. So thank you, Nikki, for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for all the amazing sales and coaching tips that people will have picked up along the way, as well as parenting teenagers tips, which we all need right now. Uh, well, those of us who have preteens and teens. Um, but, you know, as Katie says, it's an important topic to talk about. And I'm really glad that you helped us shed some light on it. Um, thank you for being here. Thank and you. We'll, uh, let's let's connect. Can I leave you with one, I'll leave you with one last thought. Please do. Uh, every morning I wake up and I have a choice and I can choose whether to step out in the world looking like this or to step out the world looking like a boy. And every single day I choose to be a woman. And I think every woman should think about that because like you may not feel you have a choice, but if you have the choice, this is so, so much better than being a boy. I love that. Thank you, Nikki.